Well, we began six weeks ago in this series uh, that I called Radical in this section of uh, the Lord's Sermon in Luke chapter 6. We started with the radical revelation of kingdom love, and then we went to the radical nature of this kingdom love as the Lord just jumps out on the scene at us with, with the Beatitudes and the fact that there is blessing and happiness and joy in the midst of darkness and pain and suffering. The message of Christ is good news. It's not fearful news. It's not bad news. It's not that God's coming to, to burn or condemn or crush the world, but it's that there is joy on the horizon. And do not uh, miss the amazing words of Christ that we have studied. And then we spent some time talking about radical forgiveness. And a couple of weeks we looked at radical judgment and how the Lord has us to be uh, wise in that area. And then last week, radical discernment as we studied Jesus' parable about the trees and we can know them, different trees by their fruit. And so this morning, we will conclude this radical series with radical reality. This morning, we will see what is undoubtedly for me and you an absolutely astonishing, radical reality in the Word of God. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46, the Bible says, Jesus says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great." Pray with me. Father, we come before Your Word. And God, right now, I acknowledge that this Word is intended for us as Your people, God. And we receive it with gladness and joy. And now, Lord, will You take this inerrant and perfect gift and will You make it real in our lives. Will You teach us how to walk in the truth that You present before us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, there's a lot of people that... I would say, know me. There's a lot of people that I feel like I know. And there's a lot of people in your life that would fall into that category. And I think that if you began to think about the people that you know and the people that know you, and think about the way they refer to you, the way they talk to you, the things that they, the name that they call you. You know, uh, one of the things that's very uh, unique and endearing about the South is that when you become grandparents, you get to make up your own weird name. If you just make it up, whatever, just pick one. You, you can just throw phonics out the window. You can be mama, me, mom, man, man. You can just make anything. In fact, I think it's whatever the child's first words are, that's grandma and grandpa's name from then on out. We just stick with it. And so we just run with that. And so when the child says that, whatever that word is, uh, you know, you can be walking through the store and you can hear that word and you know that that's not, you know, that's different than calling you by your proper name. You know, when somebody... When I hear the name Tony, I'll turn around. And I, I think, well, maybe it's me, maybe it's not. If I hear somebody refer to me as a Pastor Tony or Brother Tony, then I'm sure that it's me. And I'm sure that it's probably one of you as somebody who knows me in this 
contact somebody who's part of my family. And so I will turn and respond in that nature. And Jesus calls our attention here right off the bat in verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord? In other words, they're not just simply saying, hey, man. They're not just simply saying, "Uh, hey, sir, excuse me. In fact, they're not even just saying, Lord. You see, a Jewish person would use the term Lord. They would call somebody Lord, and that would not be completely out of the ordinary, uh, as a, maybe as a, some sign of proper respect or some sort of, uh, uh, with some religious context. But to repeat the word twice drastically changes and separates who that term can be spoken to. So the first thing you need to understand here is that Jesus begins by asking a question. Why would you call me Lord, Lord? Why would you acknowledge me as God, the God of the universe, and not do what I say? Now, is that not an, just an astonishing statement? I mean, the whole sermon could be right there. That my question would be, how could this even be possible? Why, why would God even say this? I mean, is there anyone here this morning who would say to Him, Lord, Lord, call Him Lord, acknowledge that He is God, walk around Monday through Friday, say that you believe in God, talk about how you're visiting a church or how you go to church, and yet not do what He says? Imagine. Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say, spoken from God in the flesh, standing upon this earth That is an astonishing statement. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. So the first reality I want us to see this morning is that the reality of proximity. In other words, proximity does not guarantee authenticity. That in in real estate, it's location, location, location. But in the kingdom of God, that is not true. And that what this story from the onset begins to establish is that there are people who think that location matters. There are people that think that if they're around Jesus, if they're in proximity to Jesus, if they stay close to Christianity, that they're going to be okay. But as we'll see, That's not true. See, proximity does not guarantee authenticity. And so, this is a parable that is uh, also told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, also in the the Sermon on the Mount, verses 24 through 27. And, and, And so these two go together, but they are a little bit different. There's some different context and there's some different details, but this story is about two men who build. Two men who build, who have a great deal in common. I mean, let's just think about the things that they have in common. First of all, they're in proximity. In other words, clearly they hear. So they have come to Jesus because in 47, he says, whoever comes to me. So they have come to Jesus. They're in the right place. They're in the perfect position to take advantage of the most unbelievable opportunity known to mankind. They are right there. I mean, they didn't just hear 
a story about just maybe there's this Jesus person. They were right there. They heard the Word of God. Both of them. So what are they doing? That's my question. What, what, is, what, what, are, what are these two men doing? Why, why would someone take the time to go to where God is speaking and then not listen? I mean, let's just think about that for a second. Let's just imagine that somebody took the time to get up this morning and to get dressed up. To wake up their kids, maybe. I mean, it's your day off. You could sleep in. You got to do a lot of things. Maybe the grass is starting to mow, and you're thinking, man, I got to get that mowed. And, you know, there's things around the house that need to be done, and I'm tired. It's been a long week. I need to get caught up. But you got up this morning and you came to church. In other words, you, you went through the motions. You, you invested the time and energy to get here. And yet, here, we see that these two men did the same thing. They took the time and energy. They invested what it took to be there where God was speaking. But they didn't do anything. They didn't respond. So one of them just heard. Now, who, who would go through the trouble of coming to where God was speaking? And not respond. Ask yourself that question this morning. And as you're asking yourself that question, think about this. Think about the reality of what sits around you. Think about the reality of how many people in this room do respond. And how many lives in this room do give testimony to the fact that we as a whole are a church that responds to God's Word. Next week, I hope to illustrate to that to you in a very tangible, real way. But this is a body. I'm so grateful for this body because you, for the most part, respond to the Word of God. But there are those among us who hear they invest time and energy to be in proximity. But there's no authenticity. See, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at verse 40 in Luke 6, and we saw that Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And we, we learned that what Jesus is saying is that it is not merely enough to simply be a hearer of the Word, but you must be a doer of the Word. That you can't just come and be a hearer of the Word, but you must be a server in the kingdom of God. That there are ways to illustrate transformation in the life of those God is transforming. You can see that, that though we are saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone, that there are things that happen in lives that have been touched by Christ and you can tangibly, physically see them. And as those who are being taught by Christ, they begin to look like their teacher. They begin to look like Jesus Christ. But a person who is part of a church... A person who's in proximity of Christianity, but is not a doer, is not a server, doesn't look like their teacher. 
Or maybe it looks like their wrong teacher, but doesn't look like the teacher because the teacher, for example, said this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. In other words, if that's your teacher, then that's what you should look like. And so if you're here this morning and you don't serve, I'm not pleading with you to get a job. I'm not pleading with you because we're so desperate we need people to serve. I just want people who are being transformed to get on with it. Jesus came to serve. And so if He's your teacher, you serve. That's what it looks in some way. Maybe it's a small way. But a disciple who doesn't serve. Do you know what a disciple is who doesn't serve? It's someone who says they're above their teacher. You see, because you can't say you're a disciple of Christ but don't serve because that's what He came to do. And therefore, if He's your teacher, you do that. So if you don't do that, you say, well, I'm a disciple of Christ, but I'm above Christ because He came to serve, but I don't serve. And so maybe part of the problem is is that you don't want to serve. Maybe that's it. I think a bigger problem might be that you don't think you have anything to offer. So I want to help you this morning, just for a minute. Because I think there's some of you in this room who long to serve, but you're afraid. And you don't know how, and you don't know where to go, and you don't know what to do. Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. And He said, Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in My name, in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus is saying there because it's very profound because here's, here's, here's my paraphrase of that passage of Scripture. The smallest things done in the name of Jesus matter to God. Cups of cold water to little thirsty mouths matter to God. And so any little thing that you do in Jesus' name as a servant of Him matter to God. And the problem with many of us is, is that we think to serve, you have to do some great thing. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Let me plead with you as someone who loves you and cares about you. Find a small way you can be a part. Not because we need help, but because you need to look like your teacher. So maybe you can't teach or do this or do that, that's fine. I'll find you something to do. There's something you can do here. We'll find you. Call the church office and say, I just need a little job. Here's what I can do. We'll find you one. Because we want to see you transformed. We want to see you change. We don't want to see you be a hearer and not a doer. It matters to God. In Hebrews 11, the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is... And that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. What a great passage of Scripture. And so let that thought sort of launch us into this next part as we look at 48 and 49. That God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Take action. Who move towards God. Who are available to God. Who participate with God. In verse 48, we get another picture of this because Jesus says He is like a man building a house who dug deep. He dug deep. That's important. Underline that in your Bible. He dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock. But 49 says, there's one who heard and 
did nothing. Underline that. Did nothing. So the, the contrast here is between one who dug deep and one who did nothing. So the second reality I want us to see is that self-deception is deadly. It's deadly. Self-deception is deadly. Now, how do we deceive ourselves? Well, in Matthew 7, when Jesus tells this same story, He's talking about false teachers and how they come into the church and how they deceive people. And He's using some different uh, language as He describes it, but He he talks about this one who doesn't listen, the one who builds his house not on the earth but on the sand. Same illusion there. Is, Is a fool. It's foolish to do that. That this one who dug deep is, is wise, but the one who heard and did nothing is a fool. So I want us to just take a minute and let's perform an autopsy this morning. And let's look at the autopsy of a fool. Because I want you to know what a fool is so that you are educated, so you can help people who are foolish by being kind to them and patient with them, but truthful and honest with them to help them with their foolishness. The autopsy of a fool. Number one, a fool is impatient. The first thing you'll notice about a foolish person is that they they don't invest time in what really matters. We're all given the same amount of time, but foolish people squander their time. They don't walk circumspectly and redeem the time because the days are evil, but they get caught up in things they ought not to do because they just simply squander the gift of what God has given them in time. And their downfall often comes as a result of trying to do things they ought to do by taking shortcuts. This is the nature of a foolish person. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, there is not good for a soul to be without knowledge and he sins who hastens with his feet. I love this illusion in Proverbs about feet. And I always, uh, I'll share with you something that I uh, keep around me all the time about uh, our feet and how it's important to understand where we're going in life and where our feet are treading. Impatient people are always looking for shortcuts. They're looking for the easy way. They're searching for the path of least resistance. And so I want you to understand a shortcut is an effort to do the right thing the wrong way. That's what I want you to understand this a shortcut as. It's an effort to do the right thing, but the wrong way. The fool was in the right position. He heard the right teaching. He had all the right opportunities. And he even set out doing the right thing. Because what did he do? He built a house. But he did it the wrong way. You see, that's what impatience does. Foolish people become impatient and then they look for shortcuts. God never takes shortcuts. Never. See, God always does the right thing the right way. Always, 100% of the time. He never wavers and never makes a mistake. And so to do things God's way means you never take a shortcut. Because if it's God's way, it's not a shortcut. It's His way. It's always the right way. Now, does that mean it's always going to be the hard way? No. But God's way is always the right way. So don't look for shortcuts. When we take a shortcut, here's what we do. We, we destroy this wonderful opportunity in our lives to be able to say, when you do things God's way, my favorite thing to say to God is, God, I didn't get myself into this. I can't get myself out of this. But let me tell you something. When you can't say that, when you've taken your way, when you've taken a shortcut, then it's, God, I've totally messed this up. And now I've gotten myself in this big jam. And now I'm asking you to fix what I did when I knew when I did it, I shouldn't have done it. Boy, it's nice to be able to kneel before the Lord and say, God, I didn't get myself into this. I can't get myself through this. 
I've prayed that prayer as many times as I've ever shared the gospel. I've prayed that prayer because I pray that prayer every time before I stand in this pulpit. Because you know what? This wasn't my idea. I didn't dream this up, folks. But since I didn't, I don't have to worry about it because I didn't get myself here, so I can't get myself through it. So come on, Lord, let's go together. And I want you to be able to pray that prayer from a pure heart and say, God, I want to do it your way. I don't want to be an impatient fool. Number two, a fool is arrogant. You see, fools are not only impatient, they not only want to do the right thing the wrong way, but they... They look at wisdom, they look at instruction, they look at the way they ought to do things, and they don't do it that way because they think their way is better. They convince their way that somehow their shortcut is just as good as the way they ought to do things. See, the Bible says that he who heard did nothing. That is very important for you to see. Because I have heard this passage taught incorrectly more than I've taught it correctly. And I, I've taught it incorrectly years ago as I didn't fully comprehend what God was speaking here. But it's very important that you understand that this man heard and did nothing. Why? Well, partially because he thought he knew better. You see, he wasn't lacking information. He didn't take a shortcut because he didn't know what to do. He was arrogant and prideful and thought his way was better. The Bible says in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but a fool will despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 11-3 says the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. That word perversity, it means to distort, to twist, to, to make something look as if it's not. And arrogance distorts the truth. It, it, it makes us think that our way is somehow better than what is true and what is right. And in those moments of arrogance, you need to understand there's only one way to slay arrogance, and that is humility. That's the only way. You must come before God. You must reach a point of brokenness before God. And the only way out is to say, God, no matter how complicated it may seem, Lord, I've gotten myself in this mess I shouldn't have. No matter how long it's going to take before I get out. God, no matter what situation I might find myself in getting through this. Lord, I unconditionally commit to obey you. And Lord, I will go your way. I am done settling for deceit and compromise. I'm not going to take shortcuts in my life anymore. And Father, even if things get more difficult, I'm going to walk with you and trust you and be your disciple. You see, foolish people are impatient and they're arrogant and lastly, they're short-sighted. The fool doesn't look over the horizon and see what a loving God is trying to teach him. A short-sighted person is always identifiable by this one unbelievable talent that they possess. Short-sighted people are experts in the field of denial. Because when you are short-sighted, it doesn't mean that you can't see what's on the horizon. It means that you refuse to see what's on the horizon. You are living in denial. The Bible says a prudent man sees danger and he takes refuge, but a fool does nothing and suffers for it. You see, the wise see danger and they take shelter. But the foolish person... They just keep going. 
And they suffer for it. They make no change. They make no adjustment. Why would someone do that? Because they're living in denial. They've convinced themselves that this will never happen to me, that this isn't going to be my story, that the storm's never going to come, that I'm never going to get caught, that somehow I'm going to get away with this, that God really doesn't care about this. This is insignificant. All the people around me do it. So what's the point of worrying about it? No, 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 no. Listen. Listen. God used this passage of Scripture in Proverbs 22.3 in my life in so many amazing ways. So many. One of the, I, I put Scripture on my kids' walls. Listen, parents, go home and write Proverbs 22.3 on the wall of the bedroom of your children. And may they read it every day of their life. Every day when they wake up, the prudent sees danger and takes refuge. The wise person sees danger and takes action. But the foolish person does nothing. They keep going and they suffer for it. Don't be someone who lives in denial. So one day as I was in one of the uh, circumstances in my life that God's used this verse for, I wrote down on a note card, Reckless feet wear shoes of denial. And I just keep that card with me. Reckless feet wear shoes of denial. That's not in the Bible, but it, it, it missed by that much. It should have been. Listen. Don't be reckless. Don't live in denial. This, this Scripture is not talking about people who are in crisis. You understand that? This is not about people who are in crisis. This is about people who see crisis on the horizon. This is about people who hear warning that crisis is coming. This scripture is about people who are in a time of peace and life's okay. And there's a warning sounded that something's on the horizon, that something may come and they do nothing. Please do not miss it. A fool never fears until he falls. We all fear in the midst of the crisis. Listen, nobody who thought they were going to ride out the storm, no one who was just drinking it up and partying it up and saying, no, no, it's going to miss us. It's not going to hit us. But when it hit, no one was laughing then. Listen, no one laughs in the storm. This is about the people who hear the warning that the storm is coming. Be someone who responds to the warning, who heeds the words of the Lord. When danger is on the horizon, don't stand still. Don't Go into denial mode. That is the most foolish thing you can do. So the third reality, and really the the crux of this whole passage, is that looks can be deceiving. And again, Jesus has been talking to us about hypocrisy and about authenticity and about how to see in one another and what the marks of true discipleship are and and how true joy comes in the life of a believer on this earth and all of these wonderful teachings. And over and over, He's woven into everything He said that looks can be deceiving. He says in verse 48 that this first man, he's like a man building a house and he dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the floods arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house, it could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But this second man who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation. You see, against which the streams beat vehemently. But immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Both men started out with the same endeavor. 
They both set out to build a house, folks. They didn't begin a house together. They didn't break out their blueprints. This isn't that they had an idea of a house they might build. They built. They built a house. They wanted ultimately the same thing. They desired to build a house. No one builds a house unless they want a house. No one builds a house that they hate. They desired to build a house because they wanted a house. They desired a house. They needed a house. They wanted a place to live and raise their family and to be safe from whatever might come. But that's where their ways parted. See, many of us this morning... We want the same things and we appear to all be on the same bus going the same direction. But my fear is that there will come a day when suddenly we will be separated. And we might be astonished that those that we thought were with us were not. Because looks can be very deceiving. You see, in a time of good weather, in a morning like this morning when it's beautiful outside, Man, that house is built on the sand. And man, that guy who lives in the the, the house built on the sand, he invites his neighbors over and he fires up the barbecue. And man, people watch the Saints game at his house. And I mean, it's just a great thing because the weather's calm. Because there's no danger out there. And so that house looks just like his neighbor's house. It's built on the rock. The one who dug deep. Because the weather's good, we can be deceived. You see, I think the most astonishing thing about this text is is that the man actually built a house on a bad foundation. He actually, the house actually stood. You see, I wish that, that what Jesus said here is that one man dug deep on the rock and built this big, strong castle and another man refused to dig deep and build his house on a foundation and every time he started putting some walls up, they collapsed. See, that would make my life a whole lot easier. Because it's a whole lot easier to look around the room and just see whose walls are collapsing every time they put them up. The problem with what this text says is that the man on the sand built a house. That you could sit in here this morning with a house built on sand. And you look just like the other people whose houses are built on rock. The house on the sand was built, folks. It was built. It existed. It stood. And as long as the weather was fine, it looked just like the other house. Remember last week when we talked about every tree is known by its fruit. And we we talked about how the only thing that distinguishes the trees is the fruit. And I told you that the goodness of the fruit is not always obvious by looking at the outside. Same thing. Disciples are known by their character. Character is built on conviction. An inner character is always going to become outwardly visible. It always is. And so you can go to barbecues and man, you can mow your grass and you can landscape and you can make a house on the sand look beautiful on the outside. But the day's coming when the storm is going to be on the horizon. And when it comes... The truth of the foundation is going to be shown plain and clear to all who see. Now listen. Most important thing you need to understand this morning is if you miss this, you're going to misunderstand everything I'm saying. Jesus is telling us that storms expose foundations. But here's the error 
Here's the error that people make in this text. Jesus is not telling us that only in a storm will the true foundation be visible. You don't wait for a storm to see what kind of foundation you have. People who understand this passage as some sort of teaching that you just build a house, wait for a storm. Oh, that's not good. Next house, dig deep, build a better house, wait for a storm. Oh, that's not good. No, 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 no. The foundation is visible at all times. But you have to look closely. You have to get up and examine the foundation. You have to see the character of the family and the person and the, and the, and the life. You have to see who their teacher is. You can see if you look. Because here's the thing. When the storm comes, it's too late. This storm doesn't come as a warning. This is the warning. You have to see that. If you think, and I'm telling you this morning, that you need to wait for the next storm to see what your house is built on, you are in error. Jesus is telling you and me this morning that every foundation is visible to those who will discern and look at it and seek His face. And He is not saying that you wait for a storm to see what kind of house you built because in that moment it is too late. That's why He says the ruin of that house was great. The ruin, it's over. The house is gone. There's no hope. There's no rebuilding. There's no insurance. It's done. It's done. This storm only comes once. And when it comes, it's over. That's why I spent so much time getting you to see that Jesus is talking to people who hear. People who are in proximity. You see, that's why I wanted you to see that whoever comes to me, Jesus says, and hears my sayings, that that's who this is talking to. This is the good shepherd. This is the one who lived and died and rose from the dead to make a way for you and me to live and have life and not just life, but life eternally. This is this good shepherd coming to warn you today in good weather to say, listen, take heed. You hear today. What is your house built on? Because when the storm comes, it's on the horizon and the fools knows that the storm's out there and in their arrogance and in their impatience and in their pride they walk away and they leave church and they say no it's going to be okay nothing's going to hit me I'll wait till next week and I'm telling you this is a loving God begging you to hear Him every storm will crush will crush the house built on the sand it will crush it and my heart tells me that you know this morning who you are. But why would you come in here and not move? You see, when I get so angry, and it's okay to be angry, just don't go to sleep on it, but I get angry. When I hear people say that this is some, some sort of warning that the storms of life are just going to keep testing our foundation. Because if that were true, that would be the most unloving thing for Jesus to do. That would be Him mocking us. Imagine this. Imagine Jesus coming on the scene and saying, well, guess what? i got a little trick for you. Here's a riddle. You don't know what kind of foundation you have, but there's a storm on the horizon, so let's wait and see what happens to you. 
That's not what this is. This is a God who loves you and has spoken to you that you might have assurance of your salvation. That you go to sleep at night and you know that you belong to Him. You know that your house is built on the rock. You don't fear storms when they come. Because though they may come and though they do and they beat vehemently against your house, your house will not move. That's the grace and mercy and love of a holy God who's given us this Word. Who's crying out to you and saying, listen... It's not based on anything you've done. It's not based on anything you can do. I mean, we're filled with mistakes and problems and issues and sin. The question is, is your house built on the Word of God? Is it built on the incarnate Christ who came and lived and died for you? That's what this is about. This isn't Him mocking us or playing some sort of riddle on us. The Bible says in John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world you'll face tribulation. Now really? Seriously? Is that new news to anybody? But why is He telling us it? He knows that you know that He's telling you this because He wants you to know that He knows, He understands, that He walked on this earth, that He was tried and tempted and beaten and mocked in every way, that He understands the pain that you suffer. But He wants you to know that He's spoken these things to you that you might have peace. Because in this world you'll have tribulation. No new news. But I've overcome the world, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. And when you overcome the world, you overcome all the storms that are in the world. That's what this is. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews. He says this. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape it when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. I mean, if ever there was a moment for you to see the goodness and the grace and the love of a holy God, Could it be in this moment? Could it be in this text that this God, in light of all that we've done, would would come to earth and He would say, listen, this isn't a trick. I come that you will know. I come that you might have peace. That it's going to be a hard life. But I've overcome the world. And if you build your house on me, you overcome the world with me. That that you overcome the world through me. That my power becomes your power. That you don't sing about things, you live things. That when you experience things, you feel literally the hands of God carrying you through the storms of life. That your home will stand strong. That you are built on the rock. That you know that you know that you know that this loving God is what you're basing your life on. But you see, the man who built on the sand, he came. And he heard. And he did nothing. He did nothing. Everyone who hears is a builder. Jesus here is only speaking to those who hear. He's not speaking to your neighbors. 
He's not speaking to your cousins or your co-workers. He's speaking to you and He's speaking to me. And you know what we know? We know there's a gospel. We know there's a Christ. We know that there's a Savior. Well, we've heard the truth about the forgiveness of sin. But are we too busy building our house our own way to heed His loving warning? Could today be the day that some of you would respond to the Word of God? And you would say, my house is built on the sand. I don't have assurance. I'm afraid that when the storm comes, it's going to blow my house away. Jesus, will you, will you come into my life? Will you grant me your power? Will you take the power that overcame the world and plant it within me? so that I can go out and walk through the trials of this life with the confidence and peace of knowing that you are the foundation of my life. Maybe for some of us this morning, it's just a reminder that we've sort of gotten away from walking every day and saying, God, what do you say in your word about how I should live and how I should speak and what I should do? Maybe you've started to play that little denial game in your mind where you, you try to weasel around things and you go, well, this is kind of bad, but it's not really bad, so maybe I'll... And we're always trying to work some angle. Why? Because we doubt the goodness of the God who gave His Son for us. Please, don't leave here and do nothing. Build your family on the rock. Raise your children in a place that teaches the Word of God to them. Be in community with people who make you stronger and more like Christ. But don't, don't do nothing. And remember, when the storm comes, it's too late to rebuild your house. It's too late. Will you just bow your heads right where you are seated? And let's just pray together and ask God to reveal to us the things we need to see this morning. Father, I come to you on behalf of these people. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that God, you would reveal to everyone in this room their foundation. Lord, thank You that You are not playing some kind of trick with us, Lord. That this is not some riddle, but this is a warning from a loving Heavenly Father who has proven His love by giving everything, by paying the greatest price that could ever be paid for our lives. God, I lift up those in this room who right now they tremble in fear. God, will You overcome that fear? Will you give them the courage to respond to you, Lord? Would you show them that they're in a place who understands, they're in a place who will love them and care for them? Not, no matter who they are, you love them and they can come to you. Lord, for the mom or the dad in this room who right now thinks about their children and 
shakes with fear because the house of their family is not built upon the rock, God. Lord, will you draw them to you? Will you reveal to them maybe you're using this place to show them that it's where they need to plant their family? God, maybe there are some in here who at one time in their past, they dug down deep. But Lord, they've laid the shovel down. They've become lazy and apathetic. As their Bible collects dust and as their prayer life just whittles away, Lord. Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning that you've overcome the world. God, we want you to do in this time what only you can do. So will you save the lost, God? Will you plant families where they belong? Will you call your children back to you? That we might glorify you in Jesus' name.